turn to the sixth and final chapter of Ephesians this morning. Ephesians 6. One of the, I think, key things to remember in understanding or trying to understand the practical instructions of this section between uh, 522 and 69 is this frame of reference God provides for each role. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. These as reference that we see. Uh, and as the church submits to Christ. So there's a way, right? Um, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The principle seems to be that when God gives these commands in his mercy, he also gives us himself and his work in Christ as our frame of reference. That's where we look. The Christian life we are called to live in light of our salvation is meant to be, meant to be the natural result of the gospel and what is true for us in the gospel. When God gives commands to his new covenant people, he's simply calling us to look to who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. And I think you can make the case from scripture that as we do this, the more that we do this, that we look at Christ, the more we are becoming like him. Whether or not we're aware of that is another story, but it is happening as the spirit resides in us. So unlike the giving of the law, to Moses on Sinai, when all one had to look at was the law, the rule, to know whether or not he or she was doing the right thing or not doing the right thing, we look to the obedience of Jesus for us in the gospel. Don't forget this. He not only died for your sins, he lived for your righteousness. And you get it all in salvation. Don't forget this. What we must be as Christians has already been accomplished for us, performed for us, and credited to us as our own by and in Christ. Our hearts as believers are moved by grace. We want to be like the one who set us free because he set us free. And we want to love others as he loved us. So for the believer, we see others in our lives through the eyes of Jesus even in those relationships that require things like submission and obedience. Not because we aren't righteous yet and we need to perform something to fill some gap, but because the righteousness of Christ in His perfect submission and obedience to the Father has been credited to us as our own. So we we have a bank account full of righteousness that we draw from. And it isn't us, it's Christ. We have all that we need to obey, unlike the law, or the batteries, so to speak. We're not included in the commands. In Christ, we have all that we need to obey without any threats, any coercion, any guilt, because we're truly free. So we live in all our relationships in life, all of them, as to the Lord, because we have been set free forever from the law to make us righteous and rest even for our godly living in the finished work of Christ for us. Let me pray, and we'll look at this passage together. Father, we thank you for your word, for the promised presence of your Son with us this morning, and for your Spirit who is moving now in hearts to open ears to understand and to hear your word. And so, Father, please help me. Please sanctify me for this end. Please guard my content and my speech for the sake of your name and your people. 
in this place and in this hour. And be merciful to us, Lord, as we hear your word. We ask and pray for these things in the name of Jesus Christ for us. Amen. Read the first four verses here of Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. That was the promise. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, what's interesting here is for children, notice this, for children and only for the children, there is no as referent for them. It's not uh, obey your parents as this or that. In other words, the reason children should obey their parents, which is a stronger word than submit, is because this is right in verse 1. That's it. That's the explanation they get the first one. Children, obey your parents because it's right. Why should I obey my parents? Well, because God said so. We need to see a difference here in the text quickly between obey and submit. I don't know how the word obey ever got into the marriage vows for the wife. That's not biblical. Obey is a command to children. Submit is a command to wives. Children are told to obey in their relationships, not wives. We had all, I have three daughters, 18, 17, 16, and two months. Pray for me and for my wife. However, all, all week long, bless, and I'm, I'm blessed their hearts. I mean this. We talked about submission because they did not like that. <laughs> and not, not, they weren't being rebellious. I don't, I'm not talking bad about my, my girls. But they, they don't, they weren't understanding. Like what, how far does that go, dad? What does that mean? And I, I, it, it, those things are hard to understand, right? Or if they're not hard to understand, they're hard to obey because we look at the referent we have, right? Or, or the object of our, it's, it's the husband and the husband isn't perfect. So why would, so all that, right? Children, it's very straightforward. Obey because God said so. Listen to your parents. Respect your parents. Wives are given explanations. They're given reference. Children are given, if anything, an incentive, right, in verses 2 and 3. So that makes it very basic, right? He says, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Paul's referring to the promise that was attached specifically to the fifth commandment. He's not putting children, this is important, he's not putting children back under the law. Right? He's reiterating that honoring our parents is always right. It's always the godly thing to do. Those who disobey and willfully go against their parents in rebellion, according to the promise attached to that original commandment, are setting themselves up for a difficult life and an untimely death if they aren't careful. While those who obey the Lord by obeying their parents in Old Covenant Israel were told it would set them up for a better life, and reduce their risk of an untimely death. What does untimely death have to do with honoring your father and mother? Because it's a character issue, right? It's a basic character issue. And for those that reject their parents and rebel against them, something is corrupted in their character that's going to get worse as time goes on. And that's the kind of life that tends to lead to an untimely and unfortunate death. Respect for and obedience to our parents while we are children is foundational to a good life, It's foundational and to a decent society at large. 
right? We, we, this is God's design for us. While disobedience, disregard, disrespect for parents sets a person up for a difficult and troublesome life that could lead one to an early grave and erodes a decent society from the ground up, right? And, and, and God is saying here to the children in the church, right? Notice he speaks again to the, he's talking to them. Even though, according to Ephesians 2.15, they're no longer under the old covenant law as covenant stipulation, the promise that was attached specifically to that fifth commandment will always hold true in principle. It is wise and beneficial and good to disrespect, or to, to disrespect, to respect and obey your parents. It increases the quality of life. It may even increase the longevity of your life. Now, here's the thing. A child or a teenager, maybe living at home, might say when they read this, wait a second. God doesn't know my dad. God doesn't know my mom. This isn't fair. This isn't possible. Right? What if my parents are not good people? What if I don't have a mom and a dad in the house? I just have one or the other. Or what if I don't have any? I just have someone taking care of me. What if they aren't good to me? What if my parents aren't good to me? What if I'm being abused? These are valid questions. They're not rebellious ones. While we can't, we just can't address every situation, right? I, I would simply say this, and it will be insufficient, but I'll, I'll say it to any young people that have these issues, very real issues. I'm not talking about, you know, my mom and dad took my phone away from me for a week. You know, like, okay, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. I'm talking about genuine, serious issues. We are still required by God to respect our parents and obey them, first of all, okay? I'm, I'm for, I'll be 47 in a couple of weeks, and I'm telling you the truth. If there are any young people, I can't really see too well. If I were to disrespect my mother to this day, you would know because I'd have a big old black eye, right? My dad would not put up with it. And I'm for, I, I stand almost a foot taller than my dad. He would not have it, right? And so I, I cannot, I'm, again, I'm almost 50. I'm not free to be disrespectful to my parents. The obedience is different because I'm not a child anymore. But I cannot dishonor or disrespect them. It just, listen, it wouldn't be good where there's no Bible to be disrespectful and disobedient to parents. Now, if your parent is forcing you to sin, young people, and it, it would need to be something that clear, right? And again, I know it's insufficient because we can't cover well, what about this and what about that. Just principally speaking. If your parent is forcing you to sin, remember you're obeying them because you're obeying the Lord. So you couldn't disobey the Lord in order to obey your parents. So no, we wouldn't obey if they're forcing us to sin, but the relationship is different. The commandment to the Lord is first. But I would say this, young people, unless it's that, we need to obey and submit to our parents. Now, if there is abuse, physical Sexual, something like this. These are real things. This is where the church needs to be the church and help out in whatever way we can. And I'm telling you, it is never easy to know how to help in domestic situations. It's not. It, 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 there are no easy answers. And I don't know. Again, like I, I don't know what we would do, but we can't just sit there 
if we know of abuse, right? We have to figure out something together for the sake of the child that's being hurt so that there, there has to be something. It's just, it's just messy, right? It's messy. It's not clean. It's very hard. And we don't know the whole story. We don't know the whole dynamic. So it's just hard. But please, I would say this to a child going through anything like that or a teenager. Please do not suffer in silence. Please. Right? We will do everything we can to protect your anonymity, to help you. You do not have to put up with those things, okay? And you don't obey if a parent is telling you to, you know, accept this or do this. And I'm not saying be disrespectful and all that. I'm saying seek help. It's there. And if you don't know where to go, start here and we'll do what we can. All right? But the world is broken. It's fallen. It's messy. And for kids... And I'm not, it's not because you're weak, but kids and women tend to suffer the most when society starts to break down. So for wives being hurt, for kids being hurt, please don't suffer in silence. We can figure out something together or at least try. What you need to know is that you're not alone and you're not uncared for and you're not unheard. Not by us, but most importantly, not by God. All right. Remember, these commands are not to make us righteous. We already are. They're not to make us good people in Christ. We already are. Believers already are. So don't fear the commands. Don't fear God's commands. Understand where they're coming from to all of us. God is not trying to get something He doesn't have from us yet. Remember, Christ paid everything for us. So that's not why He gives commands. Now, prove that you're my people. No, 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 no. You are my people, so live like my children. That's what you are. God commands of us, if you'll notice, what will portray Christ to our neighbors and our loved ones the best and the clearest. And suffering is one of those things. But remember, Jesus himself suffered to the point of death for us in this. So he's not immune to suffering. He's not unaware of what it's like, right? Rejected his whole life, murdered at the end, tortured to death. This is Christ for us. God knows. God knows what is best for us. He knows. That's what the commandments are for. So don't fear that you will somehow let God down. I'm speaking to the, to the young people that, um, you know, you're, you're going to let God down if, if, because your parents have put you in an impossible situation, which can happen. But kids, I, I would remind you if there are any young people in here that are still at home, Understand your parents are most likely wringing their hands trying to figure out what is best for you. Let's pray that's the case, and it most of the time is. They love you, and parenting is extremely difficult because we don't have all the answers for ourselves yet. We haven't figured it all out. We might know more than you, but we don't know everything. We know that you do, but we don't know everything yet. <laughs> We don't have all the answers, and we're fully responsible for taking care of you, sending you into this world ready to navigate it. And like I said, we, we haven't figured it all out yet. But you are probably the world to your parents. It's very hard to watch you disobey, to watch you make bad decisions, not because we have egos, which we do, of course, but because we really don't want you to get hurt. So I'm pleading as a dad right now, right? Just cut us some slack. We're trying. 
but I guarantee you, well, I, I, I can't say that, unfortunately. I would say that more often than not, your parents love you and they are trying their best for you. I hope that is the case for you. But at the same time, this world is broken. The people in it are broken. So these commands could be very hurtful. They could be threatening. Not because God is being unkind or cold, but because the situations we live in can be so awful. Please know that God knows. He sees you. He's filled with mercy for you. And there is help for you. In fact, notice this, what we read in verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now notice, that command comes exclusively to the father, the head of the home, as we learned in 22 to 33. Just as we need to understand submission in a marriage in light of Christ and His love for the church, we also have to understand the discipline and instruction of children in light of Christ and His love for the church. Dads. Hardship is not, or headship, sorry, is not given to the father to treat the wife or their children as he pleases. The task of discipline and instruction given primarily to fathers, as I think we can imply the task of nurturing, comes primarily to the mother. It's not that they don't ever do the other thing, but primarily they are not for the purpose of making our children suffer and do what we want. That's not the purpose of having the headship of instruction and discipline. So these commands are not hateful, person-ignoring, demeaning instructions. Fathers, we cannot parent in such a way as to deepen the sinful desire our children already have by being born into this world to rebel against us. There is a way to parent that makes it worse. It's not our goal to make them hate us because it's somehow for their good, right, to be so tough on them that they can't stand us. God doesn't treat us like that. That's not how He reigns us in, right? Overly strict, deeply fundamentalistic parenting produces rebellious children who more often than not resent their children and go off the rails as soon as they get an ounce of freedom. I think I've mentioned it before. I know I have in conversations. When I was first out of high school, I went to Mount Vernon Nazarene College, it was called at the time. And every weekend, everybody was hungover. Everybody was sleeping around. And it was, we were, most of us were PKs. This is not God's way. We, we don't demean or belittle our children into obedience. Again, how did Jesus love and lead His church as its husband and head? How does God love us as Father? Jesus gave Himself up for her, for the church. So brothers, if we give ourselves up for our children, we will raise them well. Not perfectly. But well. Well. Well enough that they won't hate us. Because we disobeyed Ephesians 6, 4. What does it mean to provoke our children to anger? First of all, notice that whatever that is, it's given in the text as the antithesis of bringing children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Do you see that? So there are only two ways to parent. The discipline and instruction of the Lord and provoking them to anger and wrath. 
in his commentary on Ephesians, a gentleman named Thomas Winger writes that one of the reasons the father is singled out here is because generally speaking, fathers are more inclined to harshness with their children than mothers are. That won't always be the case, but most of the time, the father is more prone to be too harsh with the kids than the mom is. I, I don't think many of us would disagree with that assessment that normally, that that's why God knows that. That's why God is giving this particular command. I, I, provoking our children to anger is also tied to this ongoing analogy Paul is using of divine relationships to human ones, right? It's, it's the other time that word provoke appears in the New Testament, it's in Romans 10:19, which is quoting Deuteronomy 32:30, I think, or 32:21, provoking to anger. In the Old Testament, it almost always referred to provoking God to anger through disobedience and idolatry. So, just as the husband was exhorted in 5:25 to 30 to exercise his role as the head of the wife with sacrificial love, Fathers are now warned not to abuse their authority through excessively severe discipline, partiality, unreasonableness, or unjust condemnation. Instead, a father should be a father like God is, so we don't treat our children like our property. For they are fellow members here of the body of Christ with us. And that's the reason Paul addresses the children here in verses 1 through 3 is because he considers them a part of the body of Christ, accountable to his commands. Anger was identified with the old Adam, if you remember back in 431. Anger that doesn't lead to the righteousness of God is part of our former way of life. And in Christ, it's been drowned, so to speak. So, fathers, we don't overdo discipline in particular. We don't go too far. Not physically and not mentally. We don't have favorites. We don't hurt one child by disproportionately exalting another. We ask their forgiveness when we have sinned against them or their mom. And admit when we make mistakes. And dads, if there's any piece of practical advice I can give to you, it would be just do that. When you're wrong and when you have been wrong, brothers, just admit it. And ask for forgiveness. And let your kids see it and hear it. Alright? Don't make your kids think that being a Christian is about always being right and never sinning. Or you are going to make them angry at God and at you. Okay? Because it's not true. We're not always right. And sometimes we are way too harsh and completely unreasonable. And we seek our own way. And we hurt our kids And we hurt our spouses, our wives. And I would say we must not forget that they are children. And I fail here every week, at least once. Do not have higher expectations for children that they are realistically capable of. Or all we will ever do is convince them they're not enough. What can we reasonably expect of children? That changes with age. Three-year-old spills milk. Like, if you, like, can I get mad? Probably not, unless they picked it up and looked at me and went like that, right? Which that happens. That can happen. But if a 16-year-old chucks a you know cup of milk across the room, that's different. But we we shouldn't lose our temper because other people make mistakes or sin, right? 
Of course, there's a time to be angry at sin. No question. But for our children, how are we responding to them? We don't heap condemnation on them, especially if they are in Christ, because God doesn't do that to us. We, we don't parent like that, dads. That's not what we do. We don't treat them like they, sh- like them sinning, like cuts them off, or, or like, like why would we do that? There's, there's no condemnation for us who are in Christ while we're actively still struggling with sin. So we can't parent as though they should be sinless. What they need to know is that for this sin you have committed, there may be consequences here. But in Christ, you are forgiven. So don't wallow in guilt. Don't wallow in despair. And we can't treat them like they should. Right? Jesus' headship over us was accomplished by grace through faith. And He Himself took all the punishment we deserve. So fellow dads, by God's grace, let's pray that the main thing about us as dads is love and forgiveness and mercy. That doesn't mean we're weak and limp-wristed. We would never say that of Jesus, and that's all that man was and is. Okay? It's not weakness, Dad. Yes, there's discipline, but there's also instruction, and it is not our Instruction. It is the Lord's instruction they need to be raised in. They need to know the truth that sets them free. They don't need to think that my word is law and I'm always right and I'm the ultimate point of reference for them. No. Earn that if that's going to be the case, right? But do, do we want to be good dads? Then we need to point our children consistently to Christ who is for them. The discipline and instruction of the Lord isn't, if you'll notice, a book of details and standards. Those things aren't there, so that's not what God is calling the dad to. What do I do if my kid uh, steals the car? What do I do if my kid, uh, you know, there isn't, we don't have a code book, brothers. But we know how he treats us. He chastens us when we are wrong because he loves us. He doesn't discipline us in wrath like we aren't his children. All the wrath against us was absorbed by Christ. The instruction we have, we have His Word. So you bring them up in the Word of the Lord while looking to Christ. We point our children to Christ. The discipline and instruction of the Lord now is something that we experience through His grace and His mercy and love to us since He considers us, moms and dads, who are saved His very own children God says it's right to obey your parents. Trust Him. Alright? Now the next relationship here in verse 5. Bond servants, slaves. I don't know why we keep not translating that that way, but obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. And by the way of eye service as people pleasers, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. What a command. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening. Knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. This text reveals that we all have a master. 
in one way or another. Some of us have many masters, even though our Lord Jesus says you can only serve one, right? So why does Paul give these instructions from God to slaves? Because slaves had earthly masters. So notice in Scripture that God rules over every facet of our lives, over all of our relationships. In the church at Ephesus, you would have had freedmen and you would have had slaves. You had husbands and wives. You had children. Why does God rule and lay claim to every relationship in our lives? Notice how the text is read so far. It is because we have a heavenly husband that we submit to Christ. It is because God the perfect father, or God is the perfect father, that children obey their parents. And now Paul writes that it is because we have a heavenly master that we would submit to earthly ones who are over us. In many of their cases, that was because they were literally slaves. And we've talked at length before about the difference between slavery in the Roman Empire and things like that, and chattel slavery like was in America in the 19th century. It's not that kind of slavery. Now, slavery is slavery on some level, but just... Let's hear the word here. Most modern-day American employees are not slaves. right? So it's not like apples to apples. right? We aren't slaves at work, although you could make an argument you know, sometimes that that's the case. But we're not technically slaves. So there are some important differences to keep in mind here. However, right, our, our bosses don't hold sway over every aspect of our lives and property. right? So we aren't slaves in that regard. But think about that for a minute. That doesn't mean you can toss out, you know, five through nine like it has nothing to do with any of us. It only increases the weight of the command. Because if slaves were expected to work for their masters as they would the Lord, then those who don't have a master as hardly as any of them did would surely be called to do the same in their circumstances. Right? It's not as hard to be an employee as it was to be a slave Now we see the word obey again in these verses, don't we? Slaves have the same instruction as children in that regard, but the slaves do have to uh, as reference, right? As you would Christ. And notice real quick, notice that is not put on children. Do you notice that? Children, obey your parents as you would Christ. They're kids. Isn't that merciful, right? Just don't, we, we, we can't expect so much of them, right? So the slave has to say, basically, so I treat my master as though he is Christ to me. Not that any master is even close, but that in our hearts, we treat him like he is out of reverence for Jesus with the same respect that is that we would give to Jesus because we give that to Jesus. Notice that real quick. Jesus is not an insecure husband. Do you notice that? You, he, he is totally aware of his ability to save you, to keep you, to capture your heart. So he would say, yeah, you can, you can obey that earthly master like you'd obey me. I'm, it, it's fine because I own you and I know that and you'll be okay. Right? He, he's, God isn't jealous like he's, like, like a jilted crush is jealous. Right? It's not insecurity. He just, he's so passionate about saving lost people. That he wants us to be looking to him in all of our relationships so that people will see what it's like to follow Jesus, right? Which includes forgiveness. For that reason, we can actually delight and be free in obeying him. Because when we hear commands, it means we belong to him, right? 
But in verses 5 through 8, slaves are commanded to work for their masters with honesty and integrity, with sincerity, because that's the will of God for them. It has nothing to do with whether or not their master is worthy of that. Therefore, they ought to render their service with goodwill, which speaks to the heart of a slave, not just the slave's performance. We need Jesus, beloved. We need Jesus. But masters in verse 9, if you'll notice, are to do the same to them. That changes. You talk about transcending Roman culture. And should stop threatening, which is amazing because God does not command coercion. Right? He already has us. That's not how we move people to obedience, right? Not by coercion or threats or just heaping on guilt. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. You need to do better. You need to do better. That's not here. If, if that's the case, what Christ did is not that great or sufficient. And it's completely sufficient. God doesn't command coercion, not for fathers, not for masters, and not for husbands. Force is not the godly way to get things done. There is no need for force where grace reigns. He will be with us as our Savior and our righteousness in our disobedience and in our obedience. So there's no need for coercion and force in Christian marriages in Christian parenting, or in our modern context for Christian employees and bosses. There's no need for that. Every master must remember that his master is in heaven, and he does everything without partiality. That's why these commands read the way they do. That's why he talks to everybody in that church. God will judge slaves and masters, husbands and wives and children, based on what He commanded each one to do in his or her role. So in every role you're in, you want to be in Christ. God will not hold a wife responsible for what a husband is called to, and vice versa, right? He will not hold a child responsible for what the parent, mainly the father, is called to, and vice versa. He will not hold a slave responsible for what a master is called to, and vice versa. So, beloved... That isn't merely a good principle to have in life. It does two very specific, very important things this morning. First, that way makes for peace in our relationships. Because no one needs to be obsessed with someone else's performance, results, sins, or failures. Everybody can exhale and relax a little bit. Jesus has us. Think about this section from 522 to 69 here. Okay, just think about these commands. No Christian is responsible for making another Christian be what God has called them to be. No Christian needs to carry the burden of being responsible for another person's good works or performance. God has freed us to not hold someone else's struggle over their heads. And He's also commanding us not to use their struggles against them as leverage over them in our relationships. The church, the body of Christ then, in all the relationships of the people in it, is created and instructed in the Lord to be the freest, happiest, 
kindest, gentlest, most peaceful place there is on this fallen planet, beloved. That's why they will know we're His disciples by our love and why our unity is so important. Because when you come in here, it ought to be an oasis. There's no coercion. There's not meant to be. No coercion, no heavy-handedness. Jesus is enough. No chauvinism, no feminism, no rebelliousness, no condemnation here. Not even in our relationships with one another. So all the commands serve the purpose of the gospel to be proclaimed. That's what the commands are ultimately doing. Making sure we're proclaiming the gospel in our words and by the way we live. Meaning Christ in the gospel. Not that the gospel can be lived out. That's a weird thing to say. Jesus does all the verbs in the gospel. Second of all, second very important thing framing commands this way does is reminds us once again of who Christ is for us and what He's done for us as our husband, our master, our head, right? God is our Father. So this morning as you feel the weight of these commands, dads, moms, bosses, employees, right? We need to realize in our inability to follow them perfectly or maybe even consistently that we really are powerless to obey in our flesh. And we shouldn't read commands like that. That now that you're saved, now I want you to use your, your, your humanness to accomplish these things. The first function of the law is to accuse us for not doing it and then to push us to Christ so that we may obey it. It will be fulfilled in us because Christ is in us. And that's where we need to focus. We need to focus on what Christ has done for us because we are called and commanded to obey Him in what He's told us to do. But we can't do that with our flesh. We can't do, we can't co-opt the flesh. It's dead. Nothing good dwells in it. It cannot submit to God in Romans. So we need to live by the Spirit and we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. How do you do that? Beloved, you press into Christ. You behold Christ. That's what the Spirit does. He, he witnesses of Christ to us and continues to fill us with the knowledge of Him. So we need Him. So when we hear a command, we don't first say, okay, I need to do this. I need to be a better dad. I need to be a better husband. I need to be a better wife. That is most likely true of all of us. But how to do it isn't in here. I, I'm not a good dad. I'm not a good husband. Who's, who's a good husband? Christ. I run to Him. Do you know why there's no one to blame? And no condemnation and no heavy-handedness in the church? Or isn't supposed to be? Because all that was necessary to make us full citizens of heaven and bona fide children of God, both the forgiveness of all our sins and the performance of all the righteousness that pleases God, that's all been accomplished for us in Christ. Therefore, we don't hold things over other people's heads. Because Jesus doesn't hang it over ours. Because Jesus bore the punishment of our sins and our shortcomings for us and they were not His fault. He didn't do them. We did. 
when we seek to live in our relationships then as to the Lord, we remember that obeying the Lord is obeying one who has already forgiven us, already freed us, already washed us, already cleansed us, already loves us. So obedience becomes an expression of thanksgiving and of honor and praise rather than, I, I hope I get this right. i got to get it right. God needs me to get it right. Jesus got it right. Rest in Him. He handles it. In the body of Christ, both as a church and in our own personal relationships and the role God has given us in our lives, we forgive because we've been forgiven. We love because we've been loved. We show mercy because we've been shown mercy. We serve because we've been served. We obey God's word because we've been made righteous. You are holy, Christian, so be holy. Jesus guarantees that we lack nothing we need, not for life and not for salvation. So we're free to obey the Lord and to mess up. Even when the commands seem unreasonable. Because we're free and we're loved and we're His. One very quick example and then I'm, I'm done. Do you remember when Peter was in the boat and Jesus, it's overnight, it's dark, it's storming on the sea. And Jesus comes to him on the water, walking on the water. One of the best lines in scripture is in Matthew, I think, and he meant to pass by them. It's amazing. Peter sees him. Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you on the water. Peter gets out of the boat. He's walking on water. Why? How? Because his eyes are on Christ. The second the man looks at the waves and the wind, he sinks. So it, this isn't, that's not a revelation. Like we all know that from looking at the passage, right? But beloved, Appropriate that for you as to the Lord, eyes on Christ all the time. If we take a moment to look at the wind and the waves of people and circumstances and maybe bad parents, overly authoritative parents, overly authoritative husbands, you know, overly resentful wives, horrible bosses, bad employees, whatever it is, listen, then we sink, we sink. And do you know what Jesus will do? Well, he'll reach down and pull you out. But it's better to walk on water. So you can't lose. Okay? Look to Christ. Look to Christ. We live in all our relationships as to the Lord because we've been set free forever from the law to make us righteous. And rest even for our godly living in the finished work of Christ. Don't look at each other. Look at Jesus. He's everything we need for life and for godliness. And He is a perfect Savior. If you don't know Him as your Savior, know Him now. Repent of all your sins. He will forgive every single one of them. You don't have to wait for the invitation. Cry out in your heart to God. He will meet you there. He will not turn you away. Perfect father, perfect husband, 
perfect master, all of it. God for us in Christ by His Spirit. And if you need to repent of the struggles you have in your relationships, do so. There is forgiveness in Christ. It's yours at Calvary. And if you need to pray in any way for any of these things, I'll be here. 